Hello, and welcome to Partially Redacted, a podcast where we discuss privacy and security, engineering, and related topics. I'm your host, Sean Faulkner, and today I'm joined by Denise Farnsworth, CEO and founder of Inspire Privacy and Security, as well as president of Farnsworth Law. And we'll be talking about Denise's career in privacy, working for major corporations like Microsoft and Facebook, but also her area of focus today, data privacy for small and medium-sized businesses. Denise, welcome to the show. Hey, Sean. It's great to be here. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for doing this. I know it uh, took a little bit of effort for us to figure out uh, scheduling and everything, but uh, we were introduced a while back by Robin Andrus, uh, who was actually on episode five of the show and is the chief privacy officer at Skyflow. And once you know, you and I started chatting, I was really blown away by your background and experience that you have in the privacy space. So that feels like a good place to start. What's your educational background, work history, and how did you end up where you are today? Yeah, I I have a really non-traditional background. I had a family first. I actually have six kids. Um, and so I finished my degree as um, when I was older. I finished it. I actually started it at Brigham Young University. I went to University of Phoenix while I was working to finish it. And then I went to Seattle University Law School and finished it uh, while I was working and raising kids. Wow. So. Six kids. I have two. I can't even imagine. Uh, <laughs> I can't even imagine. <laughs> it gets a lot crazy. Yeah. So you've had a, you know, an extensive career in privacy, working across major companies with global scale, like you know Microsoft, NetSuite, Facebook. Through your career, what are some of the major changes that have happened in privacy, both for businesses, consumers, and also as a privacy professional? Wow. So um, when I started working with big tech, I started with Apple and um, the, the next big tech company I worked with was Microsoft, was Microsoft. And, you know, it, it basically privacy in the U.S. was a subject matter expert area. So I was an issue spotter and then I would take it to the subject matter expert. They would basically give their legal advice and then you would balance the risk and you'd decide whether the return on investment was enough to you know, uh, action the advice that was given. Obviously, that's changed significantly today. Yeah. So, how is you know, what do you think were the changes in the industry that led to the switch, essentially, from this balance of like, should we do this? You know, is it the the risk to our business worth it uh, versus like where we are now? Yeah, I actually was working for Microsoft as the head of legal for Microsoft Ireland when GDPR was passed. Um, And just prior to that, um, I was the person on the ground for Microsoft that uh, was responsible for getting an amicus brief in the case that was filed against Microsoft, the DOJ warrant case that ended up being the Cloud Act. Um, And and those were very, very significant um, events that occurred that started to really change the conversation. Now, obviously, there were many, many other things that were going on but from my perspective, those were the biggest ones. Mm-hmm. And when GDPR first was, you know, started to become a thing, what was the reaction from your perspective from you know privacy professionals as well as businesses at that time? Oh wow, um, I think I think it was mixed. I think there were a lot of people who thought that the rest of the world could never impact the United States. Meaning mm-hmm. these were long laws that were extraterritory, extraterritorial, and um, you know that they would never be enforced. 
Then there were others, I think the rest of us who were working internationally and really saw what was going on on the ground that were, um, we knew that this was a harbinger of what was to come and that things would um, slowly but surely change. Mm-hmm. And then what was involved with you know, the process of essentially getting businesses ready for GDPR at that point when you, you were <laughs> um, I think the biggest and hardest part was actually getting everyone to take notice. Mm-hmm. And then the next step was getting the resources and the um, band, you know, like money, budget, headcount, uh, tools to actually prepare. And then the, the next thing was that everybody waited to the last minute. And so, so then it was sleep, right? Lack of sleep. You were mm-hmm. really on, you know, trying to get everything done. Um, the other thing was to take a very, very, risk-based approach. So very deliberate, very measured, and, uh, you know, really address the high-risk stuff first, and then work your way through the list. Mm -hmm. What was, so you mentioned that this really started with getting, making sure basically people were taking notice of this, uh, you know, upcoming change. What did you have to do to get people to actually take this seriously or to, to, to prioritize it and take notice? Yeah. So I was really lucky um, when GDPR came out. Microsoft was just, so Brad Smith, I'll just say, um, the general counsel at the time was a visionary in this area, actually. And from the very beginning made it a differentiator. In other words, it was was just integrated into everything. Um, But obviously, after having left Microsoft, I've worked with in many other places. So Jazz Pharmaceuticals, and um, then I worked with Meta, and I went to NetSuite, Oracle, um, and now obviously I work with lots and lots of organizations as a third party. Um, And leadership in organizations aren't necessarily as embedded as they should be in the day-to-day. And while at the top you usually get messages that this is important, really understanding what it takes to operationalize the laws and GDPR, especially since it was a very first type of this law in this area for compliance was um, an incredible amount of energy associated with education, Mm -hmm. um, visibility, uh, campaigning and persuading. Um, It just really is just a heavy lift helping leadership understand. Do you think like where we are now that, you know, leadership teams of these kind of like major organizations, this, there is less of that educational uh, hurdle, (laughs) essentially, you know, the the good work that you did back then uh, is now paying off? Um, You know, I, again, I, it depends on if you're talking U.S. or you're talking rest of world. Mm -hmm. If you're talking in countries who are used or even industries that are used to this type of rigor, So for example, going to Jazz Pharmaceuticals was probably one of the best things I ever did because I went from a very unregulated industry to a very regulated industry. And as I got them ready for GDPR, when I'd walk in a room and I'd say, okay, we have to do this, 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 and this, they'd go, show me where it says that we have to do that. (laughs) Show me what the regulations are. And then I'd have everything I'd need. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I do I think it's changed? I, I actually... 
I actually think it has, but I think that in the U.S. especially, I just think it's so new and, and the ethos behind it is so foreign that it's still an uphill battle sometimes to help educate at the leadership level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you were also the deputy data protection officer at Facebook building out their DPO program. What, can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like and how did you go about building that team and what was the scope of the work? Yeah, that was an experience of a lifetime. That was um, just as Cambridge Analytica was hitting. Um, and there had never been a DPO office at uh, Facebook, now Meta, before. Mm-hmm. So I obviously the resources were there, the funding was there. I, I literally pretty much had anything that I wanted or needed. Um, and um, obviously I would have to educate and support my position on things, but it was, it was just incredible. One of the things that I had to do was fill 15 heads. Um, and in that experience, I was literally interviewing some of the best and brightest privacy professionals across the world, uh, two and three times a week. And it really helped me understand that as I was going through that process and I talked to these professionals, I would use terms of art. Like I would say, okay, so tell me what a DPIA is. Tell me what a ROPA is. And they could tell me what that was. But then when I would ask them, how would you, where would you start to operationalize that? Because remember I was building it from the ground up. How would you start? Where would you start? Most of them had no clue how to take the law and put it into practice. It was it was actually quite um, eye opening. Yeah, I feel like that's a that's you know still a challenge today is you know bridging the gap essentially between the law and an actual action plan for for businesses. Right, right. So in in these larger organizations that you worked in, you know whether that be you know you know Facebook now Meta, Microsoft, um, you know Apple, how does legal privacy compliance functions and those businesses typically end up working with other areas like engineering and product to actually take these things that are essentially rules and regulations. And then at some point they need to be actually implemented from an engineering perspective. Yeah. I think you're asking a question that really um, highlights why privacy is such an odd area from a compliance perspective. So if you, you take compliance from a um, health data perspective, or you take um, compliance from a fintech or financial perspective, it's it's very clear you have like internal audit and you have people who understand the industry, you have lawyers and, you know, there's very discreet roles. Um, in my opinion, because privacy grew up outside the United States, um, you had non-lawyers who became privacy professionals. So for example, as a DPO, I didn't have to be a lawyer. Right. Um, privacy professionals are they don't have to be lawyers They're So you have a group of people. It's almost like a bundle of sticks. Right. You've got all of these different roles that work together for compliance to basically make it work. And um, in the big tech companies that I've worked with, that that has been kind of a weird thing. So, for example, internal audit feels like they own one piece. DPO feels like they own another. The lawyers feel like they own compliance. The privacy professionals on a day-to-day who are basically in the trenches feel like they're the ones that are supposed to be enforcing. And and I think over the last several years, those roles have really started to kind of figure out what their swivel lane is and then um, 
and it's starting to kind of normalize, but it's really very different in every single organization that I have worked with and am working with today. Mm -hmm. And what do you think is the right mix of those, uh, you know, matchsticks essentially? (laughs) What would I recommend? I I actually think, especially since um, it's really hard to get that buy-in in resources, I think it depends on the company. But if you were to ask me, what, where do I start? I basically start with three different roles. Obviously, I have a subject matter expert on the law. And then I have somebody like a DPO role that monitors, tests, advises, trains, educates, um, and is that advisor. And then you have your privacy professional. And those privacy professionals um, are, you know, some of them are technical because, for example, they're dealing with the data. Some of them are non-technical because they're dealing with sales and marketing. So those privacy professionals are uh, privacy champs are, um, you know, um, very critical to implementation. Hey there, it's Sean, host of Partially Redacted. You probably guessed that since at this point in the interview, you probably recognize my voice. I've been told for years that I have a face for podcasting, but no one has mentioned whether I have a voice for podcasting. So sorry about that. Hopefully the awesome guest makes up for it. Anyway. If you're enjoying this episode, please support the show by subscribing and telling your friends. You can also join Partially Adapted community at skyflow.com slash community. Okay, that's enough for me. Back to the show. Yeah. So I want to transition a little bit to start to talk about some of the work that you're doing today. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, you're the CEO and founder of Inspire Privacy and Security. Can you tell me a bit about this company? You know, why did you start it and what are you actually trying to do? Sure. So when I was uh, deputy DPO for uh, Facebook, um, I already told you my story about those realizations and light bulbs that went on. I realized that I, with my very, very unique background, having started as an admin at Apple, all the way up to the head of legal for Microsoft Ireland and then deputy DPO, that I had a really um, um, unique background in regard to the operationalization piece. I realized that I'd had the equivalent of about 10 MBAs. (laughs) And then, so I realized I could have more impact and I came back home to the United States and I actually started two companies because I didn't think they would work. I was scared to death. Um, The, so the law firm basically still uh, functions with big tech companies. And then Inspire was focused on small to medium businesses because I'm, I'm kind of on this jihad. The laws are being written for big tech companies But small to medium businesses have no clue how to deal with them or operationalize them, nor do they have the resources or the tools or the contacts to understand what's going on. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I was really interested in having this conversation, because I think so much of the, uh, you know, what you see in the news and sort of the, uh, a lot of the thought leadership in the space of data privacy is really centered on, you know, what's happening in big tech and how it impacts them, but it also impacts a lot of other types of businesses. So given that you're focused on you know, small to medium-sized businesses, what is like an SMB in this context? Is that, you know, when I think SMB, I think like, is that the mom and pop shop on the uh, on the corner or is that, you know, uh, something that's you know, somewhere between that and uh, Microsoft? So I, um, I have learned so much over the last four years. It has been trial by fire though. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and what I've done is I've very deliberately designed the different clients that I've picked up. So I've been working with $5 billion cap companies all the way down to the mom and pop shops. 
mm. um, and and have amassed just like templates and processes and frameworks and self-help tools and training modules and other things that are designed for the CEO of a company, a very, very small company, or even just like the start, just like somebody, like a one or two person company could walk in and basically say, what do I, how do I even identify the personal information I'm processing? So $5 billion cap and lower. Yeah. So that that's a pretty wide range. What is, you know, in your experience, the difference between working with these, you know, huge technology companies versus some of these, you know, smaller businesses that you work with today? Um, I think the biggest difference is that you, the, I think the individuals responsible for privacy are um, more important than ever, because not only are they the senior leadership making the, uh, the, the uh, decisions, they're the ones that are doing the work on the day-to-day -day basis. And they've got to figure out how to do it all. And if they're all in, then they're they're really invested in making sure that this is integrated into the ways of working, the way that they work. If they're not, they fight it all the way. And I cannot tell you how many clients I've had to fire. <laughs> <laughs> and it, how have privacy regulations like impacted SMB market versus, you know, the big tech companies. I think we're all well aware of, uh, at least to some degree, like the impact that things like GDPR and, and so on have had on big tech companies. But how is that actually impacting these smaller businesses? You know, it, it's so interesting because most of these small businesses, the biggest argument they have against doing what I'm recommending is we'll just fly under the radar. They're only, they only care about these big companies. We'll never get a fine. We'll never, uh, no, never care. And so the difference is the, the tools that I use to persuade and teach are different. I focus on, okay, so you may not ever talk to a regulator, but will your customer care? And will you lose deals over this, right? So you focus more on the consumer and the the customer consumer or the business, even if it's B2B, um, and if, in fact, especially if it's B2B because they have their own obligations instead mm -hmm. of the regulator. Yeah. And I think that's a big shift that like cultural shift in businesses that's happening now is sort of this moving from this old world to new world businesses where there is a subset of businesses that are using privacy, not only as what they think is hopefully the right thing to do, but as an actual product differentiator and as something that as you know, marketing power delivers higher, higher ROI to their business because essentially the consumer cares about that. So there's not only regulatory reasons for doing these types of things, but there's also you know hardcore business reasons for for wanting to transform your business in this way as well. Exactly. the The other thing to focus on is that now that the there's so many U.S. state laws, there you will come under that radar, right? You will get caught up in a, for example, a cookie sweep or something, even if you're small. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. So what are the, you know, top three to five risks to these types of businesses when it does come to, to data privacy? You know, they mentioned like, you know, the cook, doing uh, uh, cookie acceptance properly, but is that like the primary one or are there other potential risks as well? Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. When I put on my DPO hat, I always assess risk to the data subject, right? When I put on my um, lawyer hat or my privacy professional hat, I always assess risk to the business. 
And the number one risk that I raise is um, security breach, loss of the personal data that's being processed. And that, that clearly is obvious a liability. Um, the second one would be loss of sales, loss of revenue, lost opportunity. That's the second one. The, the third one would be um, uh, probably cost of business, right? So if you're not creating efficiencies, if you're not putting processes in place that are integrated into the way that you work, you're spending way too much money and time and resources. Mm. And when do you think these types of when these businesses should be prioritizing their you know privacy journey? Essentially, is this something that ideally is happening from day one, or is this something that you know once they reach a certain stage, they should be prioritizing? Yeah, the profile of these small organizations that I've worked with is very entrepreneurial, right? We've got this a great idea. We're going to start running with it. It's that um, organizational behavior. You know, they, they start storming and then they start forming um, and then they just start to sell. And unless you have somebody in that original team that really understands privacy and security, or unless they have a product or service that, you know, lends itself to that type of a liability directly, you're you're playing catch up when whenever you bring somebody like me in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see. And then you know we talked a little bit about how there is some educational shift that's happening in these you know the big tech industry in terms of understanding at least the risk to their businesses when it comes to uh, you know following regulations like GDPR or other other regulations around the world, and also from a data breach standpoint. But are you seeing a similar shift happening with the smaller businesses, uh, are they also becoming more keenly aware that this is a potential uh, problem or risk to their business? I I would say, again, this is another, it's really important, the individual that you work with. So mm -hmm. if you've got a visionary that understands regulation and, you know, making sure compliance is an important piece of their business, um, it's it's not a problem. It's not hard. It's It's quite easy. If you have somebody, and, and in fact, I'm thinking about a specific client that I've been working with for the last four years that I just fired. Um, <laughs> some of them, you just never um, convince and they fight you the whole way. So, mm -hmm. What's your typical engagement with these companies? Like, What's the service you're usually providing them and helping them accomplish? So I always had a plan for a one-to-many model, but for the last four years, I've been in research mode. Um, and so I literally have been the product and then had privacy professionals that I've trained and taught. Um, and so I come in and I'm a consulting house right now. I'm about to release an app um, that basically takes the framework and all the tools that I've created and puts them in a self-help mode. And then um, I also have a book coming out. I'm starting with a, the DPO focus first, but then we'll move to the other roles. Oh, fantastic. Well, maybe when the book comes out, we'll have to have you back. Uh, so in terms of the app and the framework that you mentioned, you had shared some details with me uh, previously about the, you know, this comprehensive framework that you've created. Can you dive into the details a little bit about that? Like, how did you build it and, and how does it how actually help a company? And what are your, your sort of goals for the self-serve application? Sure. So one of my primary responsibilities in all of the big tech companies that I've had 
especially since I started out as kind of the, the doer, um, is to basically build global programs. So I literally took that muscle and I went out to all the major privacy and security laws um, and started to say, um, you know, this provision by provision, this is, these are the tasks that need to be done. Then I organized them in pillars and there's 13 of them. And in each pillar, I would um, kind of create a module and as I worked through with each of the clients, they would ask me questions, right? So it was real-time development. So the first, so my first pillar is always governance, because if there's no leadership, there's nothing. And the first task is always assign somebody be, to be responsible for privacy. And so they'd always say, well, what does that look like? And so I've got job descriptions, I've got process flows, I've got a training module on what is governance and what would this person be doing? Um, and, and it's all been taken on real-time delivery. So it, this framework is very different from anything like um, is usually being used like OneTrust or TrustArc or anything like that. It literally is like me coming in and saying, here's your first task. Here's what you need to do and go do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's moving beyond just, you know, compliance as a checklist, but actually helping someone uh, potentially build out their their own privacy program from scratch, as well as distill the law into operations or action plans that they can take as a business. That's right. That's right. So, what are your you know what's next for for this application that you've been working on? Um, what do you have so, for plans for that? <laughs> so, I'm a lawyer. That's that's mm-hmm. me. Um, and and I am to this point where I've never done any of these things. So I need a coach kind of like other people need me for privacy. Mm-hmm. So I've actually hired some coaches and some teams and um, we're planning on a soft launch in April. Um, and uh, you will like, for example, see the book out on Amazon. You'll uh, see me, uh, you know, doing a whole lot on LinkedIn and we'll see how it goes. Awesome. That's great. And then, you know, kind of looking towards the future beyond your, you know, your own experience and in, in the company that you've been building, but where do you see the world of like privacy regulations and privacy considerations for businesses going in the next say five to 10 years? Yeah. So, uh, I, I was expecting two, so, um, let me do two first and then we'll go okay. five to 10. I, I would say as soon as two years from now, everybody, especially in the United States is going to care. Um, whether there's a federal law or not, and in fact, heaven help us if there's not a federal law, because I, I lived in the world where I had to deal in the EU with 28 regulators at a, you know, and 50, 50 states plus territories is going to be a nightmare. Um, in, in five years, I think you'll start to see it normalize. I think you'll start to be, it will be an everyday thing that needs to occur in businesses. Um, and, and not even just businesses. Um, I think you'll start to see the rest of world ethos creep into the culture. Um, the, the other thing that's starting to happen is, and I hope this really shifts is you've got so many high visibility breaches that individuals are starting to become activists associated with this. And we need to get back to the place where there's a level of trust on both sides. And I'm hoping that that's where we are in 10 years. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think 
consumer demand for uh, for this on, on you know essentially increased responsibility on the business side is is really what is going to be a, a huge motivator for businesses because if essentially if you're not part of this new world order where privacy is your, is a differentiator and part of who you are as a business, you're going to just get left behind essentially because consumers aren't going to put up with it. Yeah, they won't. They won't buy from you. They just. Yeah. They just won't. Mm-hmm. And then, do you think that you know dealing essentially with the challenges around uh, you know data pri- pri- data privacy, the rules and regulations for companies will get easier? And you know what needs to happen to essentially help us get there. So um, I worked in business for a really long time, and I think that obviously there's a cycle, and I've taught organizational behavior and other things. And we are in that forming stage, right? And companies like Skyflow, companies like mine, um, and in fact, it really started like with OneTrust and TrustArc, right? Where they really started to try and take all of this and put it in a digestible format. It, It will start to normalize. It will start to be part of the everyday and there will start to be standards um, that are expected at every level um, that people will start to understand on a in a plain language way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess when it becomes part of just an understanding, then it it also gets easier for businesses because essentially it automatically kind of shifts everything left. You're not reactively dealing with these problems; you're doing it from day one. So it's just kind of easier to bake into the culture of the business when you're you realize you need to do those things up front. Yeah, well, I mean, even think about mergers and acquisitions, right? The due diligence associated with security has is is quite sophisticated, actually, because of all of the breaches. So privacy will become the same way when you get into those situations. Where's what have you been doing around privacy? What does that look like? What's our liability and exposure? It'll be quantified, and mm-hmm. the the information provided will be qualitative as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really really good point. Um, so as we start to wrap up, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Oh, um, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. I, I don't often tell my story in a broad level or a broad way. I tell it on a one-to-one basis. Um, so this is, um, really a great opportunity and thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, you know, I think we covered a lot of ground, uh, but in a lot of ways, we only scratched the surface. I think of your background. Be great to have you back down the road. Maybe you know after after the book comes out. I'm sure there's lots of other sure. things that we can get into the details on. Uh, but thanks again and cheers. All right, Sean. Thanks. Take care.